Do we have any risk takers in here? People that just like taking risks? Got a few of them in here. I see a couple hands going up. A lot of people are risk averse. Uh, I uh, used to be very risk averse. My wife is much more of a daredevil than I am. Uh, a couple, some of you might have saw, seen on my Facebook page a couple weeks ago, she jumped out of an airplane on purpose. And, uh, and uh, so she's a little more risk, risk taking than I am. But the older I've gotten, the more I've taken a lot of risks. Uh, when I was a TV reporter um, a long time ago, uh, I uh, was doing a story where there was a series of uh, attacks in, on women in Yakima. And I, I went out to do a story on self-defense. And, and actually, one of the sergeants with the Yakima Police Department who taught a self-defense class was, worked with me and, and uh, a couple women at the time to sort of do an, an on-video sort of training uh, on self-defense. And, and I remember... Uh, you know, I, I let him, you know, uh, you know, I played the role of attacker sometimes, and he'd put me in a, uh, a, a hold and, and break, take me to the ground. So there was some risk involved in that. And then we were going through uh, some of the uh, devices you can purchase for self-defense. And he brought out uh, a can of pepper spray. A lot of folks carry a, a can of pepper spray on them. And uh, he said, uh, and I said, we're, we're talking about it and when to deploy it and, and that type of thing. And I, I said to him, um, hey, I got an idea. I go, why don't you hit me with the pepper spray? I want to see, I want to see um, what that's like. And I want to let our viewers see what it's like. And he goes, he goes, you don't want to do that. And I said, it'll make great TV. Let's do it. And he goes, no, seriously, you do not want to do that. And I said, you don't understand TV. It's a visual medium. This will make phenomenal TV if we do this. And he said, you don't want to do this. Uh, uh, and I said, no, good TV. Um, and we, we wound up doing it. And it turns out we were both right. Um, it, 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 made, uh, it made very good television. And it was something I'll never want to do again. It was just an absolutely terrible idea. My friends at the TV station thought it was hilarious and made all sorts of fun of me. But in life, sometimes you have to take risks. Somebody once said that uh, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And uh, we're, we're all called the, in the kingdom of God, in this kingdom economy, to, to take risks uh, for God as, as we work towards... Uh, ushering in his kingdom, his kingdom come. Uh, each year, millions of sports fans turn into an event that is not a sporting event, in my opinion. Uh, some of you guys will get this. Some of you guys actually watch this. Some of you ladies maybe watch it too. But it it's, gets big ratings on the NFL network. It's the NFL Combine. Uh, and if you've never heard of the NFL Combine, what the NFL Combine is, is they bring in a lot of college uh, kids who are uh, eligible for the NFL draft, and they work them through a whole bunch of uh, tests so each team can evaluate them. Uh, the players take all sorts of, uh, of tests, uh, and they, they just sort of span the spectrum. 40-yard dash, they have to bench press 225 pounds over a certain period of time. There's a vertical jump, there's a broad jump, there's a 20-yard shuttle, uh, three-cone drill, 60-yard shuttle. There's position-specific drills to see how they work in the particular area they play on the field. There's interviews. Each team is allowed 60 interviews in 15-minute intervals. Uh, there are physical and injury evaluations. Sometimes they actually have, well, they do have doctors there. 
uh, doing medical evaluations to see if these players should actually be on the field. There's drug screening. There's a thing called the Cybex test, which uses a machine to test joint strength and flexibility. And then there's a thing called the Wonderlick test that oftentimes gets a lot of play in the media. That's sort of an intelligence test. And whenever a player scores really low on it, somehow it always gets leaked to the media and, and uh, it's a little rough. Uh, players' prospects rise and fall as they're evaluated, as they're watched and run through this battery of examinations. The strongest, the fastest, the healthiest, the smartest see their value rise. And what goes on in, at this combine over several days could mean the difference in millions of dollars for players. In fact, some players who go to the combine wind up not even getting drafted as a result of a poor performance. You see, weakness is not allowed. Weakness is not allowed. All this for something as eternally unimportant as football, right? I mean, I enjoy football. I, I love it. I love watching it. But in the eternal economy, it's really not that important. The, then we have Jesus. And when Jesus is putting together his team for the most important mission in all of human history, he takes a radically different approach. Today we begin this series in a series. Today things change for us here. In this Ready Rose series, we're going to start talking about gifts and using our gifts and exercising our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our call. All these things, these words we're gonna start exploring over the next several weeks. If you've been with us for a while, you know a, a long time ago, about a year ago, we did an assessment. Uh, and in that assessment, uh, we sort of evaluated where our church uh, was strong and where we could use a little help. And the area where it was determined we probably needed to focus on with our energy is helping people to identify their gifts. This was number one for us, helping people to identify their gifts and then implement it in the kingdom of God. Implement those gifts, use those gifts in the kingdom of God. Uh, as we move into fall, we're gonna talk about how God takes different people from different backgrounds, different life stories, even takes people with weaknesses. In fact, sometimes, unlike the NFL combine, God will take somebody with a, that has a weakness in their life and actually turn it into a ministry. It's kind of cool, isn't it? That God can take brokenness and, and do stuff like that with it. And we're gonna challenge each one of us here to start thinking about how, how God created you. Everybody in here is unique. As you look around, everybody looks a little different. Everybody's from different backgrounds, has different stories, has different hurts, habits, hangups, has different victories. And God is in the business of weaving all of us together from different backgrounds into a powerful, powerful army to do his will right here on the corner of Esham and Borst in Lewis County to expand his kingdom. It's pretty exciting if you think about it. God is still putting together a team to carry out his kingdom mission. And he wants to draft you into this mission. Today we're going to look at a story where Jesus called some of his first disciples, and I believe it has some practical implications as we consider risk. Because for some of you, you're sitting here thinking, okay, they're going to help me find out what my gifts are, and then they expect me to use my gifts. That's scary. I don't want to fail. I don't want to screw up. 
By the way, it's normal to think that way, right? We all think that way. So we need to start exploring what it means to, t- to take some risks and kind of think about that, wrestle with that idea a little bit. According to a commentary I looked at on this passage of scripture that we're looking at today, the commentary said this passage, miracle teaching and discipleship form a collage that explains mission and who is qualified for it. I like that. Out of respect for God's word, let's stand as we read this morning. We're we'll be in Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Lord Jesus, as we examine our, our, your word this morning, help us to evaluate your words. Uh, in, in, in reflecting on our own lives, God, change our lives uh, where we are out of line with your word. Help, turn us and shape us into a people, God, who are ready for mission the most important mission the world has ever known. Help us to see ourselves, God, as a part of your team. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What a great story. Uh, Jesus is speaking to a crowd. Jesus drew crowds. What he said was interesting. People were fascinated by what Jesus was teaching. By the way, what he's teaching this day really isn't discussed in this passage. The real lesson on that day was for some fishermen. And the message wasn't in the sermon. It was in fishing. As we begin this teaching this morning, and again, we're going to look over the several weeks, multiple weeks, into October at least, on this idea of gifts. Let me get each of us to start considering some things. I want to challenge each of us to start thinking about some things, some questions I want each of us to wrestle with. Question number one is this. Can I see the unique way God has created me? Can I see the unique way that God has created me? We have a tendency in this world in 2022 to look at other folks and say, boy, I wish I was like them. Social media has exacerbated that problem. We look at our neighbors and we see the stuff they have. We have this this FOMO, this fear of missing out that pervades our society. So I want us to pause and it's gonna require us to sort of separate and say, you know what? Apparently, God created me the way I am for a reason. And start to value that and treasure that and look at our own lives and go, you know what? I love that. I love that God created me that way. 
By the way, if you have, we're going to give you some real sort of hands-on tools to explore what your gifts are in the coming weeks and ahead. Uh, so, you know, if you're sitting here this morning going, I don't know what my gifts are, we're going to help you with that. Okay, you don't need to worry about that. The next question is, do I acknowledge that I'm called to serve God? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe you have mission. I believe you have mission, and I believe it's sort of job one for each of us to discover that mission and integrate it into our lives. Next question, can I see that my faith and my works are deeply connected? You know, as evangelicals, we say, and we say rightly so, that we're saved by grace, not by works, right? That's true. I believe that. But we were, and the Bible teaches this also, created to do good works. And so we're going to explore that, that, that our lives and what we do for the kingdom are, are deeply integrated. What we believe uh, and, and how we act are connected. Um, uh, Devin uh, LeBaron, who's one of our leaders of our gifts-based team, we were talking this week, and it's sort of this, this uh, being versus doing. A lot of us get our value by, by doing all the time, right? We want to focus on being, but then as we discover how we are, are meant to be, good works sort of flow out of that, out of our character and out of, uh, out of how God has, has blessed and worked into each one of our lives. And then finally, am I willing to take risks and explore the opportunities for service? Like I said, God's asked me to take some risks over the years. Risk is never easy. But honestly, I, could, I can say, looking back, that as I have stepped out of my comfort zone and let God use me in areas I never expected, I have found deeper purpose in meeting. It has not always been easy, but it has always been a profound adventure that has left me in a better place than where I started. I'm not going to stand in front of you and say, as you start to exercise your gifts, it's just going to be, uh, you know, uh, unicorns and rainbows and butterflies. No, you're going to face off. You're going to face opposition as you start to do that, because all of a sudden you're becoming a threat to the enemy. And so we need to recognize that there's a spiritual battle going on here, and as we start using our gifts, it's going to make us risky to others, the enemy. Risk is never easy, but for the kingdom, it's always good. Now, first off, this adventure begins with faith and obedience. Faith and obedience are required on this adventure. Lots of profound stories involved with Jesus involve water and involve fish. Now, I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a fisherman, I remember my brother and my dad liked to fish, and, and during salmon season on Lake Washington, we had a boat, and we'd go out when salmon were running on Lake Washington. They, they, they would go out when salmon were running on Lake Washington. Uh, I think one of the things that, that makes me not a good fisherman, and I'm kind of learning about this about myself, is that I may, not committing to this, but I may have a little attention deficit disorder, <laughs> possibly, and so sitting with a stick in my hand, doing nothing, uh, I, I start to tire of it about immediately. <laughs> uh, and so I, I remember they, they, they said, hey, let's go fishing one time, and, and uh, um, you want to go. You know, they would go do this early, early, early in the morning out on, out on Lake Washington. I remember one time going out on our boat, and uh, we're fishing, and, and it's, it's just not, we're not catching anything. 
There are boats all around us. We apparently are where the salmon are, but they're not where we are. <laughs> and we're fishing. And uh, so I'm just sitting there fishing. I thought, you know, this is really, uh, really slow. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go turn the stereo on and get, get some music playing here, kind of liven things up a little bit, right? Good idea. And uh, so I turned the stereo on and the boat, and both my dad and my brother just whipped around and looked at me like, so I knew I couldn't do that, and I, I turned it off. And then they were particularly bothered when I blew up an inner tube and got in the water. That was, that was sort of, at that point, they were like, okay, you're not gonna go fishing you know, with us anymore. Uh, I don't know a lot about fishing, but I have gone fishing, and it's interesting what's going on here in this story. If you think about it for a second, we have the son of a carpenter telling experienced fishermen how to do their jobs. In fact, you kind of get the sense from the narrative here that Simon Peter is thinking about this himself. You know, uh, Jesus says, you know, let's put your nets in the water over here. Um, and in verse 5, Simon says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. That might be the phrase there that says, you know, we're fishermen, we've been doing this all night. But then he says, but because you say so, I'll let down my nets. Sometimes we just got to step out when Jesus says so, even if it doesn't make sense to us. I love that phrase, because you say so. Isn't that a great phrase? I mean, in, in Simon, and Simon, Simon Peter has some messiness in his story. We, we know that. But this fact that he is willing at this point to say, doesn't make sense, but because you say so, I'm going to do it. Jesus is speaking to each one of us and, say, and saying, I need you to step out. I need you to play a role in, in the work I'm doing. You're going to be my hands and feet in Centralia, in Chehalis, in Adna, Bucota, little, you know, all around Rochester. You're going to be my hands and my feet. It's a phrase that's because you say so, I need to integrate more in my life. Too often my starting point is, and this is one of those things I'm talking about stepping out. You know, what do they say? I'm pointing at you with one finger, but I got three pointing back at me, right? Uh, this is one, you know, when I'm, when I'm, you know, kind of invited to do something by the Holy Spirit, you know what my first things are that go through my mind? I lack the resources, Holy Spirit. I lack the talent. I lack the intelligence. I don't think I have the energy or the support from others. Am I going to be at this all alone, God? You know, those are the things that sort of rotate through my head when God asks me to do something. That might be familiar to some of you. Worse yet, sometimes I convince myself that I know better than God himself. You know, it's interesting. We describe Jesus. If I were to ask you this morning, what are some words that describe Jesus? Just one word. I'll go ahead and ask you. What? Loving. What else? Kind. kind. Yes. Perfect. What? Serving. Serving. Giving. Merciful. Intelligent. Oh, what? Intelligent. What? Intelligent? I, I'm stunned that you said that. Now, here's why. Because I've asked this question before, and rarely do you hear this idea when somebody says, describe Jesus. For some reason, we oftentimes avoid smart. We, go, we, we just kind of slip by, we just move by smart. Can we stop for a second and realize that Jesus Christ is the smartest person who ever walked the earth? Amen. Jesus Christ is the smartest person who ever walked the earth. 
Jesus, who is with God at creation when things were being knit together, understands how creation works better than anyone else. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite teachers, he was a philosopher, he was a professor at the University of Southern California. Dallas Willard one time wrote this, I love this. It says, saying Jesus is Lord can mean little in practice for anyone who has to hesitate in saying Jesus is smart. He's not just nice, he's brilliant. He's the smartest man who's ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of human history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything and certainly on the things that matter most in the human life. Saying Jesus is Lord means very little unless you acknowledge he's, he knows everything. He is the smartest person who ever lived. He is God. He understands creation. So when God looks at each one of us and, and says, you know, our name, says, Matt, I want you to do this in the kingdom. When he looks at each one of us, Devin, Tom, it's all of us, he looks out. He says, I want you to step into the kingdom and do my work. Can we for a moment acknowledge the idea that he maybe understands the situation a little bit better than us? And in doing and acknowledging that, right? In acknowledging that, it should make it easier for us to step out. Jesus is inviting you to work in his kingdom. He's in the business of making all things new, and he wants you to join him in this effort to make all things new. He has a place for you. You were created for this moment. He knew he needed a you in 2022. Right here. He needed you. What's your role? Look for your role. Start searching for it. It's okay to slip up a couple times. Explore. Now, look what happens. I love what happens in this story because you know what we learn here next in this little story? The, the, the disciples, these new disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew is there. You know what we learn right here? If we do what Jesus asks us to do, which they do precisely at this moment, if we do what Jesus asks us to do, things might get messy, right? They don't get perfect here in this story. They get a little messy. Look what happens when they've done so. And remember, Jesus is orchestrating this to teach them something here. This is not about catching fish. Fish are what he's using to communicate, okay? This is about people. This is about humanity. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They had to call the other boat over. They started splitting the, the fish between the two boats, and the boats start to sink. This is a win, by the way. The boats are sinking, the nets are breaking, but boy, do they have fish. Here, I believe, is a truth. If we are faithful, if we as individual people in the Centralia Community Church of God start taking our roles seriously, our gifts seriously, if we take evangelism and sharing Jesus with other people seriously, 
things are going to get messy. And that's okay. We're working with people. And working with people is challenging, right? Working with people can be very, very challenging. But you know what? Working with people is good. We are called to be fishers of men. Fish need to be cleaned, don't they? Imagine the task they had that day. Cleaning two sinking boatloads of fish. I remember sitting at a staff meeting at a church I was working at. We were going through a period of unusually rapid growth. I guess somewhere in my head I got the idea that things were uh, easier at a place that was growing. It feels good when things are growing, doesn't it? Rightly so. But things are not easier at a place that's growing. Things can be messier. All of the staff was coming to the same realization that I was. And I remember there's an older guy on our staff and we're talking and he just sort of mumbles out of the corner of his mouth while we're sort of talking about all the challenges we're facing. He goes, the bigger the dog, the more fleas. I had to laugh. Now, by the way, you're not fleas. Our community is not fleas, but for the sake of this metaphor, they kind of are. The decision to step out and work with people is going to bring frustration. But we have to do it. Because these people are made in the image of God. God loves them. God wants them to come to know him. And by the way, God is doing most of the work here. We just have to be obedient in our little area. And again, Jesus is the smartest person that's ever lived. So we can trust in him in this endeavor. In my devotions recently, I was reading from, I'm right now in, the, in Acts 5, 6, that whole area right there. And in Acts chapter 6, we read this. The number of followers was growing. This, this first church, these first churches. But during the same time, the Greek-speaking followers had an argument with other followers. What? An argument in the church? The Greek-speaking widows were not getting their share of the food that was given out every day. The 12 apostles called the whole group of followers together and said, it's not right for us to stop, uh, stop our work of teaching God's word in order to serve tables. So brothers and sisters, choose seven of your own men who are good, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. We'll put them in charge of this work. Then we can continue to pray and teach the word of God. It's interesting what happens here. And it's something that happened in that first church, and it has happened in every church that's growing since. The apostles needed others to help them in order for the church to be functioning, op functioning optimally. This church, the Centralia Community Church, will not function op optimally with just the elders and staff doing their roles. And the elders and staff exist to train up others to do their work in the kingdom. That is one of the primary reasons we are here. Church can have the greatest pastors in the world, but unless it has people in the family, in the body, in the congregation who are willing to use their gift, the church will not be able to fulfill its purpose to its fullest extent. It's the old saying, chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? In some ways, the church rises 
with all of us who call this our family, finding where we fit and doing our role. By the way, if we're all doing it, it doesn't fall on just a few. I mentioned it last week, there's been a very bad tendency, particularly in evangelicalism, when we see a need in the church, we just hire somebody to fill that role. Sometimes that is necessary, by the way. But sometimes what we're doing is, is, is robbing an opportunity from somebody who needs to be exercising their gifts. Here's a verse we're going to come back to, I think, multiple times. It's found in Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Christ uh, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It doesn't say that he gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do the works of service, but rather to equip people for the works of service. Successful churches are by nature. The easiest way this can, can be non-messy is for us to stay the way we are right now. Right? That's the, the easiest way for this to not be messy. But the way to grow gets messy. So we have to be willing to, to step out and start being uh, able, willing to take risks. God is redeeming the world from its messiness and he wants to use us. By the way, here the story of the boat takes a beautiful twist. It also may change the way you think of your role in God's kingdom. There's this, this, this moment where, where Simon Peter just reveals his heart. And you know what it teaches me when, when we look at this? If you look, look at verse eight, it says, when Simon Peter saw what Jesus did, this, this amazing miracle with fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Humility and awareness of sin do not disqualify someone from serving in the kingdom. I would argue they're prerequisites. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Humility and awareness of sin do not disqualify someone from serving in the kingdom. They are prerequisites. Now, I would, I would add, unrepentant sin and an unwillingness to repent does prevent you from ministry. But for the person like Simon Peter here, who in this moment goes, looks at Jesus and looks at perfection and looks at power and looks at grace and mercy in its most perfected form and realizes, I'm not that. I am so much less than that. My life has been messy. At that point, Simon Peter, through his humility and, and, and positive uh, evaluation of himself, makes himself available to work in the kingdom. I can't tell you how many times in 27, 28 years of ministry, somebody has said to me, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't ask me to be involved. And then we start talking. And I learn of a person who's done some things, like I have, who's a little messy themselves, but who's come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I, I want you to work on my heart, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, I want you to heal and change me. That's what we see here in Simon. The best pastors are humble people. By the way, they also tend to get the least amount of attention in the world we live in. 
Sadly, I would argue, sometimes it's the least humble pastors in the world we live in right now that get the most attention. And that's dangerous because it doesn't look like the kingdom. But for pastors and non-pastors alike, I believe an honest assessment of our own brokenness leading to humility opens the door to the Spirit of God to make us whole again and use us to come alongside other broken people. Isn't that great? He takes the broken, heals them so that we can come alongside the broken and help them to be restored. Tim Keller one time said this. I love this. Somebody sent me a Tim Keller uh, quote this morning. Rick sent me a Tim, Tim Keller article this morning. You didn't have any idea I was going to quote Tim Keller. Tim Keller once said the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It it undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. I love that. Isn't that awesome? In this moment, alongside the shores of the Sea of Galilee, something amazing happens. And it can happen. What happened that day by the lake, by the Sea of Galilee, by Lake Genesaret, can happen to you right now. Simon Peterson's broke, Simon Peterson's. It's it's his later relative, Simon Peterson. (laughs) Simon Peter's brokenness meets Jesus' grace. Simon Peter's brokenness meet Jesus' grace. And all of a sudden, the possibility of effective ministry bursts onto the scene. Isn't that great? Our brokenness meets grace, and we are changed. Looking at a man who realizes he is in the presence of the divine, Jesus says something. He says something to Simon Peter, something that's repeated throughout the Bible, to people taking risks to do the work of God. He says this, You see it at the beginning of the story, at the end of the story. You see it when Jesus bursts onto the scene in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see it at creation. You see it in the book of Revelation. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. There are all sorts of opportunities to use the gifts and skills you have to serve God in the church, but also in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, on the teams your kids play on in your classrooms, you name it. Sometimes fear is what keeps us from stepping out, but Jesus looks at each one of us and says, don't be afraid. I've given you this specific set of skills. I've wired you a certain way. I've given you this personality. I've placed you in a community. Be obedient to me, and you will have success. What's keeping you from stepping out? If it's God's plan, you don't need to be afraid. The story ends with a simple phrase. And it's maybe the most profound thing that happens in the entire story. As we start to wind down this morning. Verse 11 says this. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Isn't that cool? They left everything. And followed him. 
By the way, this is also a place where it gets difficult. If we're going to be living out God's purposes in our lives, it may require us to leave some things. There may be some things on our calendar we have to say goodbye to. There may be some things in our finances we have to say, I'm shifting that resource. It's going to require us to evaluate our life and say, what do I need to leave and who do I need to follow? What do I need to leave? That's what they do here. They left everything and followed him. But this is what we're called to be. This may be leaving and following is is at the core of discipleship, isn't it? Leaving and following is at the core of discipleship. God created you for a purpose. You're part of his mission. For the willing, God will do amazing things. Some of you, uh, some of you today here look around and we see the world and it's all messy and broken and we turn on the news and it's just horrific, all the stuff that's going on and we, we wonder what can you do. Sometimes we shake our fists in anger and say, God, change everything. Well, guess what? God's in the business of making all things new. It's not always going to be this way. And what can you do when you look out at the world at its brokenness? You can leave the things of the world behind and you can make the conscious choice that you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to give over to him as Lord. Some of you might have heard the name of Eric Lydell. I heard the name of Eric Lydell. Eric Lydell is somewhat famous. If you saw the movie Chariots of Fire 30 years, 35 years ago, you would have seen the story of Eric Lydell. Lydell was a, a Scottish runner at the 1924 Olympics. I think they were in Paris that year. And he was a deeply devout follower of Jesus Christ. He was favored to win the 100 meters. He was favored to win the gold. But... Because he was a devout follower of Jesus, and get this, think about this in our modern framework, because they were running the heats for the event on Sunday, Lydell refused to run. And so he didn't win the gold. But you know what he did? It's funny, he entered an event that he wasn't favored in, where the heats weren't on Sunday, it was a 400 meter, and he won the gold. He was this, this super fast person who just, I think, tried to follow God at every point in his life. And he's probably this most famous quote that's attributed to him is this. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. I like that. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. But you know what? I'm not going to finish with that story. I'm going to finish with the rest of Eric Lydell's story. Because a lot of people aren't so familiar with it. Lydell had a unique set of skills, talents, gifts, vocation, and they were all blended into something that was uniquely used by the kingdom of God. After his racing days were over, he became a missionary. And he went to Asia as a missionary, where he spent the remainder of his life. In the 1940s, when Japan invaded Uh, at the early parts of World War II, a lot of the missionaries in the area pulled out of the area, were were, were brought home, the Western missionaries. But Lydell refused to leave. He felt that his call, his gifts, were called to be 
in China during this really challenging time. So he stayed and wound up in a Japanese internment camp where he died in, in 1945. Uh, so profound, there, there are lots of folks that remember his death that were interned with him. So profound was his influence, particularly among the youth, that the camp went silent for days. He was the internment camp pastor. And because of the way he lived his life, there was this deep, profound sense of loss. In this life, you may not be rich or famous or popular, but if you live out your gifts, you will be something. You will be something. You will be remembered for it. It's interesting. His last words were recorded by multiple people. As he lay on his deathbed dying of cancer in this prison, his last words were this. It's complete surrender. It's complete surrender. I wonder what the narrative that was going on in his brain was at the time. If God was saying, so what was it about? And Lydell said, you know what? It's about complete surrender. That's what life is. Surrendering to Jesus Christ and then watching him do amazing things.